1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 15, he said, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We live in a world today that is increasingly becoming more hostile toward those of us who are people of faith. Whether it is florists who do not want to prepare flowers for the homosexual service that they call a wedding, or whether it is those who are baking cakes who say that they don't want to do the same, our religion is being mocked and we are being made light of. I expect that in a world where the devil reigns. However, in the city of McMinnville, where there are so many Christians as there are gathered here this morning, it is inconceivable to me that we in the Lord's church have to endure evil encroaching upon us. And yet, this past Tuesday evening, our board of mayor and aldermen voted five to two to remove any restrictions regarding the sale of beer that is related to the distance between churches and schools and daycare. Those men who spoke made it clear that they believe that the community wants this. I don't think it does. I would encourage you to call them or write them and tell them how you feel. I placed on the bulletin board this morning a list of each of their names and their email addresses and the phone numbers that they have published. And I encourage you to, to write them, to call them, tell them how you feel. And then a week from Tuesday evening, they will vote on this again. If my opinion or my supposition takes place, they will pass it. But I think they need to know that faithful children of God do not approve of this. Now, if you will, I'd like to study with you for a few moments our planned lesson. And that is the church of Christ designed. You know, when you start talking about something being designed, we often think of decoration. For instance, if someone says, what design do you have in the worship center, the sanctuary, the auditorium where you worship? And someone might begin to describe the beams that decorate the building or you might even describe the floor coverings or the paintings on the wall or things such as that. But you have to realize design has to do with function. That is, there's a purpose behind these things. Does the church have a design that was intended by God? And if it does have a design intended by God, does the Bible reveal to us God's design? Those are very significant questions because if we wanted to build again the Lord's church in a location where it was not, 
Could we follow a blueprint found in the scriptures to build exactly the same thing that they had in the first century? My suggestion is we can. In a second sense, I want to ask you a question. Can we recognize a building by its design? Well, let me test you and see. You know what that building is just by the very look of its design? It's the White House. If you look at another building, can you recognize that one by its design? I'm sure you can. It's the Pentagon. Or what about this one? It's the Taj Mahal built as an honorary tomb for an emperor's wife. Or what about this one? It's the Sydney Opera House in Sydney, Australia. You see, you can look at each of those and you can recognize them by their design. Is it possible for me to take the scriptures, read it and study it and recognize the design that God had? You see, over the past several weeks, we've been studying about the church. We study about the church that God determined to build and reveal through the prophets. The church described first by Jesus in Matthew 13 and then by Paul in the book of Ephesians. We talked about the church declared as the gospel was preached. What was the gospel of the kingdom? And we discussed that in our lesson two weeks ago. This morning we want to talk about the design, the organization, the function of the church as is revealed in the scriptures. And then Lord willing next Sunday morning to conclude the series on the deliverance of the kingdom when it is given back to the Father. The church's design is seen, number one, in its pattern, in those who are presiding over it, and then number three, the purpose. Let's take a few moments and let's see the essentiality of a pattern. Did God know what he wanted and has he throughout scriptures given men a pattern for the things he wanted built? Well, I'd say all of us can recognize, yes, he did. You remember when Noah was given the directions to build the ark, the length of it, the width of it, the height of it, the number of floors, the number of animals to be placed within it, the door, the window? You say, well, yes, God gave him a design. Or you can come to the book of Exodus, chapter 25. We'll look at verses 9 and 40 in chapter 26 and verse 30. And you'll see a... a Familiar phrase repeated. He says, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. When you go to verse 40, make it according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Chapter 26, verse 30, according to the pattern that you were shown on the mountain, God gave Moses a pattern. And it wasn't just the, the structure, it wasn't just the building, but it was the altar of incense, it was the table of showbread, it was the lampstand. And each of those things had a purpose, had a function. When I come to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 7 and verse 44, and then the passage that Brother Willie read in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, whether it is Stephen recounting the history of Israel in Acts 7, or whether it is the writer of the book of Hebrews talking about how the tabernacle had a pattern and God's kingdom has a pattern. And so it not only included the building, the structure, 
but also the furniture and even the function within it. And the pattern of the Lord's church reveals a structure, an organization. So what I want to do, and I know that I'm moving swiftly, but I must because of time here. Let's talk about those who were presiding. And I want you to go with me to two passages of Scripture. The first one is going to be found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 11 and we'll read through verse 16. And I want you to listen to Paul as he talks about God's divine design. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share for the edifying of the body or edifying of itself in love. Now I want you to go to the second passage with me. We're going to come back to them in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28 and 29. And God appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? I want you to notice that God had not only an organization, He even had a priority. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. For just a moment, let's explore this. God's design. We have to think and understand that some of these were temporary. There was no provision for one to follow the apostles. We know plainly, we know clearly, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 and following, where there be prophecies, they will cease. So there was going to be an end to some of these offices, but some of them were to remain. Some of them were permanent. Let's look at them for just a moment. The apostles were specifically chosen men, chosen by our Lord to be His witnesses and to take His message into all the world. They were the ones that were first-hand witnesses. In John 14 and verse 26, he promised to the apostles, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. You go to chapter 16 and verse 13, the Lord is still speaking. He said, 
power when He, the Spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth. You see, those apostles were given guidance. They were given direction. They were given revelation that allowed them to do what Jesus wanted them to do. And what he wanted them to do was to bind and to loose what heaven had bound and loose. In talking about the establishment of the church in Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, I say unto you, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, they were given the role of being the spokesman for God here on earth. But we also know that as we read further that they had the ability to lay hands upon people and impart spiritual gifts. Acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 18. The apostles arrive at Samaria from Jerusalem. At verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. He saw that that was what they could do. They could lay hands If there's no longer an apostle, then there's no longer the laying on of hands. So that office was important for the beginning of the church, but it was only a temporary office. The second thing that he says, second was prophets. And these were spokesmen for God with miraculous ability. But their work was again just for a temporary time. I want you to listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Paul said, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. As I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery. Notice now, it was given by revelation. But when that message was given, Paul wrote it down. When Paul wrote it down, they could read it and understand it. Folks, that's exactly like it is today. What the prophets wrote are in the scriptures. When you and I read them, we can understand them. And if you'll notice verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit through or to his holy apostles and prophets. But the third office that he lists in Ephesians chapter 3 or chapter 4 is that of evangelist. An evangelist was a part of God's design, a part of God's plan. God chose through the foolishness of preaching to save those who would believe, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. But the evangelist has a function. He has a purpose. He has a goal as is outlined in Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, Paul writes... I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, because, uh, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up to themselves teachers And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. 
Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was told a job to do. What was that job? Verse 2 is to preach the word. God did not design evangelists for entertainers. He did not design evangelists to be some sort of decoration. It is the job, it is the obligation, it is the function of an evangelist to preach the gospel. And he doesn't do that and he's not functioning as God intended. And it's not the church which the Lord has designed. Then, according to Ephesians... Pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers are those that are designed by God to shepherd over the flock. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed or to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You see, it wasn't man's design to say, we want to have shepherds, we want to have overseers. It was the Holy Spirit. That's God's design. That's God's plan. When Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the fellow, he said, the elders who are among you, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. You see, that was God's design. Elders, pastors are also called shepherds, and overseers was God's divine plan. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, and 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, pastors were also teachers. They taught the congregation the right way to go. Shepherds oversee, they rule, evangelists preach and teach. And we learn also from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. The word deacon is a transliterated word. That's one that's not been translated, but it's just they took the Greek letters and put English letters for them. Just like the word baptize means to immerse, but they transliterated. The original word diakonos, from which we get our word deacon, literally means a servant. They're special servants with special abilities who meet certain qualifications according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In a church congregation, you have men whose job it is to take care of various tasks as they are assigned. You see, God's design, there is a pattern. And you find yet people today who have things that are like cardinals and popes and vicars and all these things, they don't reflect the design that is in Scripture. Now, very quickly, I want to talk about the purpose. You know, when you build a building, if you look here on either side, there are beams here. They're exposed beams that provide some decoration. But those beams have a function. They hold up our roof. In fact, they're able to give a span of, of great distance here so that the roof does not fall in. They have a function. Just like in the tabernacle 
The table of showbread was where the bread was placed. The altar of incense is where the incense was placed. When you start looking at the early church, is there a function or a purpose within what God's design has involved? And I'd suggest to you very plainly there is. Let's go back to chapter 4. We're going to pick up with verse 12. Verse 11 talks about those whom God placed, but here's why he placed them there. Here's the function, if you will, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, there was a plan involved. And notice with me just some of these phrases here. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You see, you have our shepherds, our overseers, who provide the various works for the church to be doing. You have the evangelist who is teaching and providing the information. Here's what we're supposed to do. Here's how we're supposed to do it. Here is an incentive to do it. And if everybody is functioning according to God's divine plan, we're all working together to bring about the equipping of the saints. He also says for the edifying of the body. The word edify means to build up, to strengthen. He talks about the growth of knowledge. He talks about unity. He talks about stability. You see, God designed the church not to be going in every direction. He designed the church to learn. And from that learning, to work together, to be unified, and not to be pushed around by every doctrine that comes from men. And he says that this causes the growth of the body. But you see, the church also has other functions as well. The church is to function in the area of benevolence. James 1 and verse 27 says that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16 speaks about the church relieving those who are really widows. And Romans chapter 15 verses 25 and, or 26 and 27, Paul is talking about the contribution for the needy saints at Jerusalem and how that according to other passages like 1 Corinthians 16, money was contributed so that those who were in need could be provided for. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do the good to all men, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Titus 3 and verse 14 says, And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. We have to be a people that care. And that's why a few moments ago we placed money in a contribution plate so that the church could have the funds to take care of those who are in need. But folks, as important as it is to edify and encourage the congregation, as important as it is for us to show our care and compassion and benevolence, we also have to recognize our need to share and make known the good news. There are so many people in the world today who would say, as some on the board of mayor and aldermen, you folks don't want to believe in 
alcohol, y'all just teach that among yourselves and y'all don't participate. But you let everybody else do what they want to. Folks, we cannot leave the world alone. As Paul was spoken of when he came to Thessalonica, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. We have got to turn the world upside down with preaching the gospel to them. There's so many ways in which we need to do this. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 says, The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And Acts 5 and verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. We need to take the gospel with us everywhere we go. Whether we are dealing with our families, whether we are dealing with our friends, whether we are dealing with our co-workers. In Acts 8, verses 1 through 4, And when the church was persecuted, we read, according to verse 4, Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. You see, it wasn't because you had a hired preacher somewhere who you had him hired to do all the preaching. No, you have got to take the gospel with you everywhere you go. And Jesus, in giving the Great Commission, said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, God designed the church exactly like He wanted. When God created a blueprint, He made it, this is what I want. And the church is perfect for that which it was designed in God's plan. And folks, I hope you have detected I believe the Lord's church is a glorious institution. There's no greater privilege that you and I have to be a part of anything on this earth than to be a part of the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. If you've not yet been baptized, you're not yet in that body because Acts 2.41 said, Praising praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see... The Lord's going to add you when you are obedient to the gospel. And we're going to sing this invitation song. If you need to respond, if you'll come down here to the front, I'll greet you. We'll let you stand before this audience and tell them that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. And if you're one of God's children and it's time for you to come home, please do that while together we stand and sing.